All right, here we are. <laughs> Welcome to Behind the Blade Podcast episode. What are we at? 37? 30? I didn't look, but I think it's 37. We assume this is episode 37. Uh, we <laughs> we actually have a special guest on the show today, Mikhail Van Hout. Did I say it right? Yeah, you nailed it. Oh, it's because I'm good. Yeah. I'm <laughs> this so is modest. This is and modest and humble. The most humble person you're ever going to meet. <laughs> Um, this is actually a, a good friend of ours. You guys have heard us talk about him on the show. Several uh, times. Yeah, this is Several times. the Muscles from Brussels, our European sharpening expert. Um, good friend of a lot of our sponsors and yep. stuff. With the, but anyways, the whole point is we were sitting here talking knives, talking industry, and talking a little bit of crap back and forth. And we were like, we just need to turn on the microphones because this is good content. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously, we can't slander brands that we may have been slandering off air. <laughs> But barring that, we're clear to just speak. Yep. So let's do this. So welcome to the show, Mikhail. Yep. Thank you. Nice to be here. I mean, I've been listening to this show for, well, ever since it first aired, and mm-hmm. it's progressed fairly nicely. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Gotta say the production quality went up dramatically compared to episode <laughs> one. That was, uh, yeah. I think that's when we got rid of the rock band PlayStation yes. microphone it, yeah, that it, was yep. zip tied to the desk lamp. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> that would have done it. Yeah. That's right. I'm sure we've, I'm sure we said that story a few times. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Thank you. So yeah, we're just, we're just relaxing tonight, guys. Tonight's just kind of like a free form episode. Um, and, uh, we're just hanging out with Mahil. So Mahil is the owner and proprietor of Belgian Sharpening. Um, limited corporation. Yes, very limited. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm uh, mainly a professional sharpener and uh, razor honer in uh, Europe. Um, I do lots of different things. I mean, um, we were talking about it the other day about sharpening systems and what's the best thing and this and that. It, the question pops up online every other day. It absolutely so, does. Uh, I go back and forth between all different systems and freehand and Sanders That's got to be like asking, like, what what's the perfect backpack? Right. Yeah. Like, right, right, well, right, right. What do you do? Do you what's ride a subway shoe? or a yeah. motorcycle? You know right, what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah, what's the best shoe? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. And even within different sharpening systems, there's pros and cons and everything. And yeah, just get whatever you're used to. Buy something with good aftermarket service and uh, third party accessories like Kami, Wicked Edge. Mm-hmm. They all have decent uh, uh, accessories and third market stones and stuff like that so you're pretty much set for life with, with a KME. yeah pretty much i would agree i actually just had a service call um about uh, somebody somebody had uh, called the shop and asked uh me specifically if i had ever used a ts prof sharpener i told him no but i'd seen videos online yeah. and stuff like that and i know that uh i know that uh there are people that make aftermarket stones for that yeah. it's pretty uh crazy looking contraption yeah, it is the, it's, it's like it's an it's a lot. i mean i've only like, used it a couple of times but it's mm-hmm. Um, it's like an Edge Pro, not like the Apex, but the, the Pro model they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does have, um, the same stone setup. So it has the same size stones. So you can one use, by six, right? It's one by six. Cool. I think you can expand it to two by eight. That's Whoa. cool. That's crazy. Um, That's cool. Talk about slow wear. Um, the angle, I think it goes down to five degrees per side, which is fine. It, does have a clamped system, which mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of. Um, <clears throat> now that's the one that sticks up straight, right? It, kind of a clamp system, like the Wicked Edge does. No, no, it's or, horizontal as well. Okay, so you horizontal. have to flip okay. the knife. Same thing as a KME. Like a gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. All right. Um, but it's like a KME on steroids. It's gigantic. 
It is. It was a huge. Yeah, it was big. It was big. Yeah. It was big when I saw uh, it. I didn't. I didn't catch where the clamp was though. It has a like an ang- angled measuring system built in mm-hmm. um, that does compensate for stone thickness, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of neat. That's so cool. you don't have to have a stone thickness compensator right. like a Cameo or an Edge Pro does, uh, or a Wicked Edge. Um, so that's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. As far as the stones go that come with the system, they're okay. okay. I mean, they're not as good as KME stuff. They're better than what Edge Pro supplies. But Gotcha. Well, you buy a system with the basic stones, it's fine, but eventually you're going to buy better stones. Well, and it's a business, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's an upsell add-on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or a complimentary yeah. purchase. Yeah, you, you know, exactly. so you can drive them right to the guys who support you. You can send them right to Jenda or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. I'm the guy who didn't turn off his didn't, phone. Didn't make your phone on silent. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> That's okay. All right. There That's we go. That's okay. Um, but, so, um, oh, go no, ahead. no, go ahead. I, I okay. actually don't have anything important oh, to say. Oh, I will go. Uh, okay. So, so do you do like... Uh, Barbershops and professionals, or is it primarily individuals who just want? I do both. I have a couple of restaurants that are in my hometown that drop off knives, and uh, like people that drop off their knives from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them are German or European kind of softish uh, right. blade steel, so they're easy to sharpen. Fifty six, fifty seven Rockwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that common across the pond? Is that the French like the Sabatier? knives those in the Henkel stuff that's all over the place um, I try to avoid it if I can because sharpening them usually involves taking down the um, bolster mm-hmm. thinning that out oh and that where it comes out right to the plunge yeah. 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 Oh, it's yeah. a giant pain in the ass to do by hand gotcha um, so I try to avoid doing those but you kind of have to mm-hmm. um, restaurants all over the place use those so. uh, and other than that razors razors are a big thing for me mm-hmm. um Love doing them. They're completely different from sharpening knives. Yeah, that, I believe that it. was something that I discovered too. Actually, it was Mihil who introduced me to the world of razor sharpening years ago, and uh, him and I went. Him and I got onto it, and then I got a little bit of extra tutelage from Tom Blodgett from Genda Industries. On top of that, now, yeah, I I, I got to tell you, it's the best best shave I've ever had. You're talking about putting on aftershave and having no burn, right? <laughs> whatsoever by having cool. by having a really nice. But no, uh, Mihil actually taught me how to shave. Or, yeah, how to wet shave actually too. Yeah. I got all my steps from him. Where to get the soaps and stuff. So he was, he was my gateway into the rabbit hole. Oh yeah, yeah it's a giant rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I mean, the problem with straight razors is that there's not many uh, current makers doing them, or good current makers. I mean, like on a custom level or a production level? No, production even. Mm-hmm. Uh, even at Sheffield, or they're not. Mm, not really. Uh, <clears throat> not in big uh, quantities. Kier, uh, Isar. In, as you butcher it, Tierra's Izzard. <laughs> I say Tierra's song. <laughs> I don't say it, so it's okay. It's, uh, one of those, yeah. It's probably the biggest one. Um, they have a couple of them that are nice, but the basic models are, their grinds aren't that good. Gotcha. To me, the, the vintage ones are still better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. big into vintage Swedish races. Yeah. Does anybody really make any new, like, like modern Modern, 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 what, what's the term? Modern production, yeah. vintage style. Uh, Dovo right. still does to mm-hmm. a certain degree. Uh, their their mm-hmm. base model is kind of iffy. Right. Uh, but a little, as soon as you go up one step in their production line, they're pretty good quality. Starts getting pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. There's a nice. couple of other German brands, but Dovo's pretty much the biggest one uh, out there. Interesting. And they still do good stuff. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, what are we carrying today, fellas? Oof. Well, we'll start with our guest. Because I, we're polite, AF. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> I am Go actually carrying uh, two new knives that I got. So when I visit the U.S., I a couple of months beforehand, I usually have knives uh, delivered to uh, Jim's sister's house. Drop houses. He has yep, drop, drop houses. houses. Basically, drop yeah. Houses. yeah. So it's kind of like uh, Christmas for me when I arrive. So <laughs> today I am carrying the new uh, ZT0470, the Sinkovich design. It's a hot knife. Uh, cool. Yeah, it's... I'm really liking it so far. Um, flipping action out of the box is really good. Uh, pretty much anything on it, I like. Uh, and the other knife I'm carrying is a Joshua Gallardo uh, Pocket Buddy. Uh, it's a full custom. I, I like that knife. I tell you what. So that's got like a ivory paper micarta yep. scale behind a natural canvas bolster mm-hmm. with natural canvas liners. It's a, and big, it's a big long bolster too. I mean, I mean, it's it's really, it's really. It is long, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean it's, unconventionally it's, it's almost, it's almost long. half and half. Yeah, yeah but but right. but the way he's got it constructed and the way he's got it put together is really cool. I'm actually pretty excited about how he constructed it. Yeah, it's funny you it's call it the half and half because I call it the coffee knife. The coffee oh, knife, yeah, 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 coffee yeah, right. cream because uh, it has a desert iron wood. Oh, isn't that cute? Front. Yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> it's adorable. That, that's awesome. Uh, his <laughs> grinds are insane. They're super crisp. Uh, nice the thin edge too. Is, is a hollow ground swedge. It's really nice. I love doing hollow ground swedges. Uh, I don't the new yeah. enough. The hand sanding on it is almost perfect. I mean, it's got cra- scratches now because I've used it. Uh, sheets, really good. I mean, what more can you ask for? For thing, this one particularly was around 300 bucks. Not no bad. Kidding. Not yeah, bad. That's, that's a, great. That's a $500 knife. And it's easy. a finely crafted yeah. knife. We were talking about that off air just a minute ago. Like, when is the pendulum going to swing back to fine cutlery to right. when a custom yeah. knife is well-made and not just sold on Facebook? Yeah, and, right. and this is what I wanted to get into because I, I tell you what, I'm in this kind of stage of malcontentment with the world right now. <laughs> and, and, and I'm looking at, you know, this knife, this Gallardo is a beautiful example of a stylized, well-crafted, custom edc knife yeah. it cuts well mm-hmm. it is agree. impeccably ground yeah the finish is i mean immaculate everything on it is just right and you say this is a fine knife so i don't know how many facebook likes this guy has i don't but i know that i see tens of thousands of people in droves purchasing overpriced half-made knives and i am disgusted by it, it is something that just reeks because it mm-hmm. is, to me, it's tantamount to like a snake oil salesman coming into town right. on a wagon selling tonics yeah. and elixirs, you know, and, and they're like, check this out. I almost finished a knife. <laughs> and meanwhile, you have guys like this who make amazing stuff and they put everything into it. And I don't know, he, he may be so good that the effort isn't necessarily what we think it is. Mm-hmm. Like he can do it effortlessly, but yeah. we're rewarding his genetics at that point. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And good for him. And that should be the barometer when you're selecting a custom knife, when you're selecting something, like, is it comfortable? Does it yes. perform well? Like this thing, I happen to know that Mikhail likes his, his knives light and not yep. cumbersome and heavy. Yep. You know what I mean? Some people prefer more robust blades. That's fine. But they should be well-crafted at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. And especially on the custom spectrum. Now, yeah. I'm not talking mid-tech. I'm not talking semi-custom. I'm not talking production. You're just talking about like one-off one off just guys making nice stuff. Did you did you yeah. commission him to make that or did you purchase it off no, a website? No. He uh does uh small runs of okay. his customs. Um usually five or six of them. Uh he posts them on Instagram when they're almost done. Uh and basically they go on the website and you buy them. You can contact him 
um, for customs. Not really saying you want a different design or anything, but you can pick the handle material at that point. Like gotcha. he's got, I got six blades coming up. They're going to be this design. You can pick the handle material if you want. Are you doing a carbon yes. fiber with green canvas micarta? You should. That would be hot. That would, that would, and I hate carbon fiber. I hate, but as a bolster material, I think there's very few cool. things that are hotter than that. Um, no, no I, it, that's what Bob Loveless referred to as a bench maker. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's like, he's like, I'm yeah. not a custom knife maker. Those are his words. He said, I wouldn't I don't make a knife that you dreamt up in mm -hmm. some drunken stupor yeah, and be like, exactly. oh, I want it to look like a dragon's tail. And I want it to have, you know, all this crazy. No. So he says, this is the knife I make. I make a dropped hunter. I make a big bear or a Dixon fighter. Mm -hmm. You can pick the handle material. But beyond that, he had confidence enough in his product that he didn't want to step off the reservation, so to right. speak. Right, yeah, exactly. And I admire that because that shows mm -hmm. that you're not a, a – hazelnut sapling just bending to the breeze of trends oh, right. yeah you know what i mean oh, oh of what you see one other guy post i mean it's such a false positive whenever you see that too because because that guy making a big deal about how that one thing is sold he could have made that once and got lucky in his construction once whoever you know, versus versus some versus a guy that's established and is a bench maker and who can whip up one of his designs and they're thought out and they're thought yeah. out they're, yeah exactly uh, you know what exactly. i mean it was time yep. spent on that saying what is the best product that i can put out and at one point, somebody said, you know what would look cool is 60 grit grinds on a bevel. And, and, and I tell you what, it's not. Yeah, especially it's, stone wash that shit. Oh, right. <laughs> but you know what? I, I have my JB Stout that I carry all the time, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. that has got like 60 grit grinds on it. Yeah. But he went through and reworked it so that they weren't sharp and aggressive and mm -hmm. it still cuts right. really well. Like he, It's almost like he buffed over them to knock down the peaks and yeah. bring up the valleys. And, uh, and I'm like, this is cool. But on other knives, I'm like, well, you look like you saw a 60 grit knife. Yeah. And then you made one. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's not the same. So I, exactly. I am really disenfranchised by watching everything, chasing the first guy, to, chasing the pioneers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's been that way for millennia. I mean, look at the Bowie yeah. knife. You know what I mean? How that started and Sheffield grabbed it mm -hmm. from the newspapers. Yeah. You know, not even Facebook at that point. The original social media, they grabbed it and they were like, oh, we're going to make Bowie knives. You know, and yep. so, and, you know, but I I really admire Mikhail's taste, even though we don't agree on knives 90% of the time. <laughs> exactly. You, right? guys, yeah. you guys did just miss it. They were going through um, a custom maker, maker's website, like a compendium together. They're like, all right, stop me when you find something that you like and I'll stop you when I see something that I like and they always pointed at different knives. It was pretty yeah. funny as an observer to watch to watch it. It was pretty funny. Usually one or the other would go, I don't mind that. I don't <laughs> hate that it's like, one. It's like, yeah. That one's okay-ish. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think the industry has come so far that at this point uh, there's, we gotta up the quality of production knives and custom made knives to the level where the price justifies what the knife is. And at this point, I feel not always that that is the case. Mm -hmm. I feel like some knives are priced for the looks on a photo and not for what they can do. Right. I think the steel industry has gotten a lot better than when Jim Bowie was around. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so, so what steel was the original right. Bowie knife? So, yeah. uh, it was iron. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we have we have so much technology and so much uh, steels at our disposal that I don't think we can justify stupidly overbuild knives 
that don't function. Like you can have a thick knife that is made for outdoors and camp use, that's fine. But I don't want that as an EDC. I need things that will actually cut and the steel industry has made steels that allow for thinner stock with the same performance as sticks. Hallelujah! Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. I don't get why we still make the same knives in the same thickness as we used to. It, mm-hmm. Probably we could get away with thinner stock. Isn't that, that's the point. You yeah. exploit the properties of the steel. Right. There shouldn't be a 5.16 3V anything. Nothing. So if 3V Nothing, is yeah. the toughest steel, then what was once quarter inch 1095 can now be Five thirty seconds, three V. Oh, yeah. oh, at the and minimum, yeah. You would see an increased performance in cutting, mm-hmm. and you would sustain right. zero loss of performance Correct. and toughness. Right. And, right, at a reduced weight. Right. Absolutely, which pack weight, weight yeah. counts. I mean, everybody right. wants to be an outdoorsman now. Yeah, everybody wants to be like, I've got the best gear to take outside. I've got the toughest stuff in the world, and it's like, okay, put all that stuff in your pack, and then walk five miles with it. Right. I double dog dare you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Eleven axes strapped to their pack. Yeah. You know, what I mean? and their knives are reminiscent of an axe, also. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's. Uh, Those are usually the people you see the pictures of, and then also have their truck in the background oh, with absolutely. the cast iron pots. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. So you go camping with your car, and that's why you can lug around all this stuff then then it's okay but that's but okay too because I, everybody has yeah. their fantasy that they want to live out and I, I i don't even care to get flamed over this because i'm not only the president i'm also a client <laughs> bushcraft is cosplay oh yeah that's 100%. what it is yeah. you, you yeah. know i mean that's what we do we want to go outside and we make fun of the guys in dungeons and dragons who go and throw fireballs and do all this stuff because they're reenacting this situation that they LARP. wish yeah larping, LARPing. is that LARP? yeah, live action LARPing. live action role play larping yeah. So I'm, I'm not even a good nerd. You're a pretty good nerd. You're yeah. better than that. <laughs> but we're, we're gonna go. We're gonna do a Dungeons and Dragons session next time. Sweet. So, but right. I mean, that's what it is. Primitive survival skills. Whether it's buckskins, mountain man type thing, whatever it is, whatever these recreate reenacting is. You know what I mean? You want to be immersed in this lifestyle, yeah. and and you see a benefit from it. You see the self-reliance which ultimately builds mm-hmm. confidence which builds skills that require no gadgets just your head and your hands right. oh yeah well we're, we're the only actual tool that you that you came into that situation in is a knife right that's it and you're just yeah, going in the woods exactly. and all of a sudden not only did you make a fire you made a bunch of traps and a and, shelter and a shelter and right. you made a camp stove you made right. you know you made a waterproof bowl and that's you made a spoon you know? awesome but it's yeah. not it's not that dissimilar to D and D guys. It's really not. It, you know it, what I mean? It right, really yeah. isn't. And, and I think we need to embrace that and be realistic about it because you, there's a lot of hyperbole online. There's a lot mm-hmm. of the best. What's the best steel? Yeah. Who makes the best survival knife? Who does the best handles? Yeah. You know, it's so subjective that I mean, there is no best. I mean, you're yeah. never going to be able to track that down. It's but, not even what what is the best or what is less than good or whatever. It's like. What's the best handle material? Like G10 Micaras, they all perform at the exact same level to me. I mean, there's yeah. I can't feel any difference in performance between Micara or G10. So at this point, there's so much that is similar that the best is there's probably about 50 things that are the best. And they're all right. Yeah, and it's all subjective. E- equally yeah, best. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you're, and you'll be correct. Right. I mean, I mean, so and 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 then my favorite is when you see people nitpicking amongst the best. Yeah, that's right? me. That's me with G10 in my car. I'm that guy. Like, <laughs> that's where I like kick into overdrive on my nerddom, and I'm like, you know what? I've dropped a G10 knife on a concrete floor, and I've had the handle blow out. 
And I've also had uh, Lennon Micarta handle in the buffer, spinning at 32,000 RPMs or whatever it is. Catch it, throw it at the concrete, and pick it up and be able to buff out any evidence that that ever happened. That's true. It does splinter less. (laughs) What's that? Micarta does splinter less. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's less brittle. You know what I mean? From a manufacturing standpoint, I like it. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's also in an urban environment. So right. there's not a whole lot of concrete floors in the woods, and there's not a whole lot of throwing your knife either. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially and at and that if you velocity. You really should do that. Please don't <laughs> <laughs> save yourself some time. Just go ahead and no. I, I remember uh, we were at a uh, party at my buddy's house, and we're hanging out. And I had a blackjack. Model 1.7. I call it Black Randy because I went through and I overworked the guard like a Randall and I soldered it like a Randall and I did red, white, and blue uh, spacer stacks on it. So it looks like a Randall 1.7 mm-hmm. except it's convex ground A2, right? So right. Uh, like it's like a blackjack Randall. I call yeah. it Black Randy. So if I asked you and I go, hey, bring me Black Randy. <laughs> That's what you would bring. And uh, I'm outside and it was a bunch of hot rod and motorcycle cats and we were just having a good time and there's this four inch aspen in the front yard and I had just gotten done relieving myself on the side yard and I'm walking back over and my buddy stops me and he goes, and he was three sheets to the wind, right? And he looks at me and goes, hey man, do you think you could throw that big old knife on your hip and stick that tree? <laughs> and it's leather handle, aluminum pommel. <laughs> I pulled Black Randy out and I chuck it. And I bury it so friggin' deep into that aspen, tip first. It was like a perfect shot, like right in the center. I mean, this thing's probably an inch and an eighth buried into this tree. And I was just That's like, awesome. I felt so awesome that all I could do is just look at him, pull the knife out of the tree, put it back in the holster. And in my mind, I'm just screaming, do not try this again because no, you no, will mess it up. Not, like, yeah, no, Do not yeah. try this again. Walk yeah. away. It'll go right past the tree into a rock. <laughs> or, or a window or something yeah, like right. that. You know what I mean? And for all, there was like redemption for all the embarrassing times that I tried to do something and it totally failed. And this one day at this one party, now all of a sudden I'm that guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> He goes running in. You guys would not believe yeah. what Matt just did. One time in a Once. row. Yeah. <laughs> One moment is a lifetime. Jim, what are you carrying today, my friend? Oh, do I have to say it? Oh, is it the, is the ugly Victorinox multi-tool, oh, yeah. ULB, course, and a... That's probably it. Yep, this is it. Um, so, it's covered in yeah. sand. Oh, did you go to the beach? No, I didn't. I'm not nearly that cool. Um, I uh, I actually replaced the sandblast gloves on the cabinet with it, and, and it was super smart while I had the grate in there, because I was... Um, using my multi-tool to tighten down the O-rings, and it slipped out of my hand because it's nicely polished for 420HC into the super-refined sandblast sand. Oh, man. It's so, like an <laughs> antlion apartment complex. Yeah, <laughs> Pretty much. So, so I went in and I dug it out, and I'm like, ah. Oh. And so I just folded it up and put it back, and then like I took it out like two hours later, and it was like... <sighs> oh, it sounds like, like grandma's like, hips. It was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did. so I've been blowing sand out of it for like the last two weeks, but it's still rocking. It's still good. It's still fine. It measures fine. Are enough. we still talking about grandma's hips? Uh, I, I, I went back to this. I went back to this. I uh, no comments. <laughs> and uh, quick subject change. So <laughs> I'm also carrying a green canvas um, ultralight bushcrafter. You know, you guys in, just in did a drop of these. Didn't we you? just did seven hundred of them. It's the Holy biggest. Holy cow! And, it, and the, the funny thing about the ultralight bushcrafter is that it was the it was like a, it was like a little bit of a sleeper hit, right? It didn't sell 
for like two years. Like no. we made one run, yep. nobody bought it. Nobody and everybody's like, ah, oh, that sucks. And then all of a sudden one day it just picked up again. Why do you suppose that is? Why do I suppose that is? Um, it had, I don't know. Why, why, why do you think it found success? Well, one, it's a good knife. So so obviously, well, well, not that you're biased. Right, yeah. right. Well, okay. Yeah, you're right. A little bit of bias. But, um, and, I, and I hesitate to say that it's because I was carrying one and it was featuring a lot of Derek's videos. So it got out. So I don't think it had just got enough press. Yeah. Right? So once it started getting more press, people started trying it and went, oh, now I know why this is carried. Yeah. Right, and now I, I, know I agree with that so, a lot. So I think so. Oh, it's dull as hell. You, oh, it is. It's terrible. Yeah, it's Can really you bad. That was <laughs> <laughs> right over to me. Um, so. <laughs> but, do you think going back to our our discussion that we were just having a minute ago? Do you mm-hmm. think there is any merit in the fact that people got it because they wanted to be like Jim, or they saw it? You know, oh, I highly doubt that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I, saying all the way, I like Jim, but yeah, 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 I but, wouldn't weigh that away immediately. <laughs> 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 no, honestly, I think a lot of people watch those videos. I think those were awesome walkthrough videos. We had a shit ton of fun with making them. Oh yeah, yeah, we, uh, they were good. They were fun to make. And I think when a maker carries his own knife, people always ask, like, "What do you carry for yourself?" Mm-hmm. And as soon as a maker carries one of his own knives and it's that particular model, people will look into it. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of pushed people over the edge. And as soon as like. Let's say 100 people bought it. The Facebook comments about it, Skywatch. Just it. got my ULB. Yeah. Yeah, this thing's awesome. Yeah. They're putting pictures up and it, and yep. it kind of uh, metastasizes. Yep. Yeah, metastasize. That's yeah. a good one. Thank good you. One. I, yeah, I impressed awesome. myself. I wish you guys could see my expression right now. I'm really proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I like it. I mean, I can't see one anymore for the next two weeks because I just saw 700 of them. Oh, yeah. You're probably sick of it. Yeah. That's why I didn't go into gynecology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have tears in my eyes. Oh, my God. So, so but, I, but going back to the point we were making earlier, do you think people got it and they said, this is a thin knife? And we're not breaking it the way we assumed we would, even yeah. though it's only eighth inch thick and it cuts like the Dickens, oh, yeah, and I can't absolutely. even feel it on my belt. Yeah, that that, that, that right. was the entire it's thing. That was like, all of those points are everything that I've always said about the ULB is that it disappears on your hip. It's sharp as hell. You can get it in three different grind heights, you know, and uh, it, it can be customized just like any other normal knife. But on top of that, it's just a good using knife, and I think it. I think most of its success is just based off its own merits. Yeah. And and the number one problem that we had in the beginning was why it didn't sell is because nobody knew about it. Right. Right. I, I, because because we had already a hundred models at the time, so people had to like really kind of surf through to try to find something. So every time we came up with something new, I mean, there was very just little press upon that. So much. So, yeah. So so we started having just featured highlights, if you will, and that was that was something that knife free. Well, and you guys did, weren't did a thin you knife. Guys. You're not. You're not traditionally a thin knife company. No, so no. this is a, a departure. A oh, departure from your absolute, typical catalog. Absolutely, yeah. and it was like a whim on Dad. I'm like, I'm like, this is never going to work. Nobody's going to buy a three thirty yeah. seconds thick knife. We're talking that it's awesome. Yep. <laughs> and a lot of people do. Yeah. So it's so there's a, there's a lot of knives that make at that thickness. Before or after like the success of the ULB that. Uh, LT versions came out of the Ooh, good question. out of the shop. Oh, it was about a year. Yeah, before year. or after? After. Yeah. It was about a year after. And, 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 and actually, I remember a lot of wait, a year like after asking. which? A year uh, after the ULB came the LT versions, or the other way around? Uh, it came, came the LT versions of the Bravos. That's what yeah. you're asking, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was about a year, year and a half after after that came out. Recognizing that we didn't need quarter inch stock on every knife, yes. so they went like, "Can we have a three V model that is, yeah, just a hair mm-hmm. thinner? I don't know." 
And 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 actually, you were you, Mikhail, were actually one of the impetuses for why we started yeah. doing LT versions. Because, because I like thinner knives. Bringing well, some well, European flair. Yeah, well, 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 Mikhail goes, I like thinner knives. I just wish that it were thinner on the spine. And I started actually thinking about it because I didn't know any different at the right. time. You know, it's, it's not, I didn't know any other custom knife makers at the time. I thought that we were just like the absolute top pinnacle of everything. You know, because I had zero experience with it all. God, and, I wish I could bottle oh. that and drink it every morning. Just feel good about myself. <laughs> and, well, it was. Well, it was it's called late. whiskey. And it's not <laughs> a breakfast food. Yeah, and then I grew up, Miller and then uh, and then well, well, we had we we met Mikhail at Iwa, and then he came over came over to visit us, and he goes and he uh, suggested it, and Dad went, well, screw it, let's try it, and then all of a sudden we've got five thirty second Bravos mm. instead of instead of two seventeen, yep. and it was a massive difference. Which I think and, the Bravo one, the LT version, is it like the yeah, standard that's Bravo the go, one in, in the thicker stock. Mm-hmm. And this is subjective, obviously. It's like the most successful knife of your company, it's, right? It's, it's Bravo anything. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, but yeah. I don't want to be like, oh, what's wrong with it? But in my opinion, for the shorter blade on the one, thinner stock is necessary because you actually get more out of that than the thicker version, right? Well, no, I agree. And that, and that, I think, is based on weight and carry. Mm-hmm. Weight and carry options. It's more comfortable to just carry with you. Yeah, I mean, and exactly. then also on top of that, you can take the knife and you can use it for knife things like big, like big cutting, like and big poking, yeah. right? Yeah. Big, big boy knife things, right? You know, and not the, just not the just the actual like a terminal edge. I think mm-hmm. on the A2 model, like the regular Bravo and the LT is about the same mm-hmm. angle. Let's say angle between right, yeah, right. For right. Convex, right. the same yeah, for a convex, parabola, yeah. 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 <laughs> but the thickness behind that edge is massively different between the two. Yeah, and absolutely. you can kind of feel that when you come to wood and other stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I just went through that with the Felton even S1 mm-hmm. Bro. Yeah, okay. And, and yeah. So it was one of my grail knives. I, right. I, you guys, if you're a long-time listener, you know that to me the ultimate knife is the Felton even S1. Yep. And being a knife guy, I just felt like it was kind of boring, and I wanted that stainless guard. I just, I don't <laughs> know why I was willing to give up the weight. I was willing to give up just to have that when you pull it out of the sheath, because that's a lot of what knife collecting is. Mm-hmm. How many knives do we have in our drawers and in our chests you know, and 50, safe. 60 at least I think 284 284 right, right. I, was, I was gonna say that I think I'm the light yeah. one at 50 and, and you yeah. don't you don't carry all of them but every time you open your safe or wherever whatever vessel you store your knives in and you look at them they bring you immense pleasure they, they can sometimes they can teleport you to another time I mean there's so much power in cutlery because of the statement that every one of them makes from yeah. daggers to axes right you know uh-huh. But that was my biggest thing is I, I get this S1 Pro and I'm like, I just want to feel good looking at it and I want it to perform exactly like my S1. Well, I got it in and that thing may have been, it might as well have been like a Collins axe from Home Depot. And it was so thick. It was so blade heavy for a short knife, which I don't like because when you use your actual camp knife, like your, and I'm not talking like a big machete, but like when you use your camp knife, like your utility knife, yep. you use it for everything. And there are times when that's all you have and you use it to the point of fatigue. Mm-hmm. And when I use my knife to the point of fatigue, I'd rather it fall into my hand than out of my hand, right? right. Yep. And this thing, open the box, which is cool. You feel like you're getting ready to go on a mission. It oh, comes in like, like a, a pelican case. And, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's got the foam cutouts oh, and everything for yeah. it. Yeah, It needs flashing red LEDs. It's that cool. Like, I mean, <laughs> the thing is awesome. And I pull yeah. it out and I go, ooh, this feels kind of wonky. And then I go to cut with it. And the geometry was so thick it was blunt. Yeah, that it was, blunt, I, it yeah. was terrible. It slice paper perfectly. Yes. Perfectly. Right. You're right. But they did the exact opposite of what I wanted them to do with that knife. They made it heavier, they made it thicker, and they made it out of a better steel, so it allowed for actually thinner stock, I think. Again, yeah. And 
I mean, I love their knives. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I can even. We've been next to them at Iwa. Uh, oh yeah, they're great people year. too. We were in the convex corner, as we dubbed it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and awesome. I, I love their knives. The presentation of the the pro models mm. is awesome. But I wish they would have gone with slightly uh, thinner stock on that one. That's yeah, it was it was a gross disappointment. Yeah, and I, I was, but it doesn't. It's not disparaging to the company themselves. I mean, it, it, I'm sure that they're going to no, react because accordingly. I'm pretty sure that the majority of the people that wanted that pro version wanted it to be a thick overbuilt knife. Right. Which is, in my opinion, the um, antithesis yeah. of professional. Yeah. So they, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, let's make exactly. it more like yeah. a Duplo block and less like a Lego. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Pretty much. But, you know, what are you going to do? So, you know, shop with your wallet, find the knife that you like and, and, but just be aware of these things that the convex edge geometry and the, its cutting ability can be deceiving because yeah. uh, a, a quarter inch thick, that's what your Bravo ones come out at, right? Mm-hmm. Quarter inch? Yep. Two, 217. Okay. 217. Nominal. Yeah. yeah. Quarter, yeah. quarter nominal, yeah. right? We'll call yeah. it that. Um, it cuts like no other because of that convex edge. And you guys have a nice tight edge. Oh, it's, even it's, still. it's consistent yeah. all the way down. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, and that, that's the trick is like yeah. when you skate that line between, between too thin and perfect. So, right. but you, you know? but you don't lose anything by going thinner. So you don't, right. you, you actually increase to your point, Mikhail, you, you increase yeah. your cutting ability slightly because the, the thickness behind the edge, but out of the box, a Bravo one is going to outcut 90% of the field knives that you buy at, you, at a lot yeah. of distributors, you know, just yeah. because of that geometry. Same thing with the felt team. That's why it was so game changing. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, but there's just something to be learned and like, you can really get away with a thinner blade and still get all that performance. I don't care if you baton, you can still baton. That's the yeah, whole point yeah. of these high impact steels that we right. have now. You know, the and toughness. It's, it's skyrocketed in the past, let's say five, six years. Oh, I would agree. When I got into uh, high end, oh, or let's say good quality production knives, that was in 2005. And at that point, uh, M4 was a super steel. Uh, S30V was magic uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was no you're yeah. right yeah right. everybody used even it even as far back as 10 years right you know, so let's say like the regular uh griptilian was 154 cm and then there was a doug ritter version mm-hmm. in d2 and that was magic now d2 is kind of frowned upon not always because it finally started to wear out and people finally had to start trying to sharpen it <laughs> <laughs> I only buy uh, no, no, no I, I'm not a big fan of D2. I only buy it from two makers. That's Bob Dozier and Tom Crane. It's yep. the only two I buy it from. Which uh, that's a, that's them, a lineage, right? You right. Know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tom used to work for uh, Bob, so mm-hmm. I'm sure that he picked up some stuff along along the line. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. 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 Um, mm-hmm. And right now we're spoiled with the steels. Like the difference between Crewware 3V, 4V. For me, in a field life, is hardly noticeable. Yeah. Especially in 3 and crew wear, people ask all the time what's the better steel in, in Bark River knives. And honestly, I can't see any difference in them performance-wise. I can't see it uh, making-wise either. Yep. The no. wear resistance mm-hmm. is so comparable, exactly. like in grinding. The polish is the same. Yeah. Uh, yep, I, yeah. I, I don't see much of a difference in, in the shop yeah. working between the two. Yeah. It, it, they they both actually have the exact same polish procedures. Right, it's not exactly like same. Right. you use double the amount of belts. No, no. Three V versus crew wear, for instance. No, use the same amount. We right. just got to tell the guys, oh, these are crew wear, and they're like, is that like three V? They're like, okay. Right. And we've already got everything already yeah. planned so out. So in the carbon steels, so, there's a lot of stuff that I mean, 
out and no, don't notice any difference. In stainless, I think we've made giant leaps in the last 10 years. Oh, yeah, 100%. Between S30V yeah. and, let's say, LMAX or uh, M390. M390, yeah. M390, yeah. M390 is everywhere right now. It's, yep. a, it's like 440C in the 90s. It's yep. everywhere. Except real expensive. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, really expensive, expensive right now. Especially, especially now. Yeah, in the U.S., it's really expensive. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Europe, it's a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, you got 20 CV, you got a mm-hmm. US version of it. Pretty good competitor too. Yeah. I mean, like, there's marginal chemical differences between the yeah, two. Yeah, right? you know, like 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 two. What, what are the three? 204P M390 and CTS. No, that's 20 CV. 204P. Yeah. 20 CV. 20 CV. 20 CV is the other one. Um, there are marginal yeah, differences. It polishes really nice yep. from a sharpening standpoint. It takes mm-hmm. an exceptional edge. Uh, holds it forever. Yep. Uh, now, what not, about surface finish? What do you mean? I mean, there's a distinct difference between CPM 154 and CPM 3V in surface finish ability. Yeah. yeah. So in surface finish, can you get the same mirror polish if that's what a guy's bag is out of M390 that you can CPM 154? Yes, but it'll take you a lot longer. I I think you can actually get a good finish out of it, but it's... yep. Okay, so last time we... Every time, let me start there. Every time we've done 20 CV... We, okay, so at Barkerville, we grind blades hard, right? Right, just just because we like using our heat treat, right? Right, which requires full full stock thickness yep. just to get just to get the good heat treat out of it. But yep. our heat treat's really good. We can't do that with twenty CV because it's so abrasion resistant. You can't surface or bevel grind it. You're just going through, yeah, yeah. You, you, you oh hey, train, yep, yeah. train, train. Yep. yep, yep. Where so it's like I'm in Tom Crine's podcast. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. <laughs> 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 it's like yeah, just just know know that there, there it is again. <laughs> just just know that you are not alone. <laughs> no, a twenty CV it polishes excellent mm-hmm. as far as the sharpening standpoint for like big surfaces. I've done large bevels on them, and it it takes a lot of elbow release. It is not as easy. Which and that's you know not to diminish what you do to get a mirror polished edge, but that that's on uh, a secondary bevel. That's yeah. not a huge mm-hmm. expanse. Like, you know, that's, that's not a full width. That's cleaning know, a ground flower bevel. bed versus cleaning a football field. Yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly. Like that, that is it's such a big difference because you're looking for that homogenous finish, right? And right. I, I've run into this with three V, where it's like coarser is better, oh, and yeah. it's better yeah. to do a coarse job really well than it is to do a really shoddy fine job yep. when it comes yep. to finishing. And yeah, that's something that we've learned in our shop over the years that <clears throat> even if you want to achieve this, it's better to step back and do one step less of where you want to be but do it really well yep. than it is mm-hmm. to try to push the limits, which that's great for experimentation and everything, but I mean right. to try to push the limits and put out a shoddy product that is over what the material will support. Right, yeah. I actually see that quite a bit in custom guys is that they'll, uh, they'll do a hand-pulled, hand-rubbed finish at 600 grit, right, right, and but but it's an excellent finish though. Yes. It's totally linear. It's, yep. it's it's really really nice, but it's pretty common. So something like that would be really good in 390. No, I don't know. Uh, the only one or only production knife that I know of that is fully mirror polished like that is uh, a run uh, that Riyadh did. Riyadh, okay. yeah, they did uh, one blade that was completely mirror polished and it was really like from production standpoint. I mean, it's not. But it's, it's good. not full custom, but it's mm-hmm. really good. And I know those knives took forever to polish because I was talking to David Dang about that at U.N. There, and they said that that was not easy to do um, because they 
for some reason they couldn't use the same compounds they were using for other knives. So really? I don't know what it what they used Ooh. eventually. They had to find something uh, completely different from the yeah. bottom line. They were calling yeah. out Tom Lodge and Agenda. Right. They're like, we need, <laughs> we need diamond compound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Just spraying it on with super soakers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, if you tried to buff it at 600 grit, it kind of mm. turns satiny, but not really mirror, mm. and it doesn't... Right. Yeah, it kind of gets those black streaks like 3D does. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. So buffers don't really work on them that well, um, <clears throat> at least not at high grids. Gotcha. You, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've done I've done M390 before. I've, uh, yeah. I've I've ground it. I mean, well, it was that uh, the PM2 you gave me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the yeah. PM2 you gave me. That one's at M390. That one polished up okay. Yep. But man, was it tough to get an even finish on there. Yeah. Bad, well, no. you couldn't use the 600 at all. I no. think I used a slow 120. No kidding. Slow 120. Slow 120. And I think a very fluffy 240. Yeah, very loosely stitched, which, yeah. which is something that I should experiment with. Yeah. But like, but like, I did. Uh, so we, we sat in all of our blades on that concentrically sewn wheel, right? So we've got slow machines on 120 and 240 to kind yeah. of supplement things through. What I what I should do is I should take that thing and put 120 on a on a one row stitch loose wheel. Yes, and then and then bring it across there to see if I can maybe buff it out and get it even smoother. And there are makers who do that all the way up to 600, and it yeah. just gives yeah. a really nice fuzzy satin, like a really clean oh, it, satin. It almost looks right. sandblasted, some of these yeah. guys, yes. but it's a buffer finish. Yep. It's yep. crazy how nice that is. Yeah. I've yeah. had to experiment with that with uh, 3V. I mean, that's, oh. you know, but for me, I actually found out, because we don't load our wheels as tightly as you do. It's gotcha. not like a spinning brick, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, ours are, have some give to them, and I found yeah. that mm-hmm. super high RPMs on a softer wheel yield a better satin. Well, yeah, you're splaying it out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so our, all of our split, our, all of our, uh, so, so the bricks are just for um, getting, getting the polish, even and taking out a lot of the scratches visually. Gotcha. And then, and then when yeah. we satin, it's actually a squishier wheel. Oh, so okay, the, but they're, they're, higher they're, RPMs. Uh, lower RPMs. Oh, see, I run higher. That's the only oh, gotcha. way I was able to get three. The otherwise, it looks scratchy. Gotcha. Okay. You know, okay. Right? Well, well, we do that. We do the one twenty and two forty at on higher RPMs, but then we do one twenty and two forty again on squishy oh, slower machines. Okay, gotcha. So, so and that that just and then the wheel splays yep. across the thing. So it's just like two passes, and then we're done. And it then we nice. take that one twenty finish and go to a slow two forty finish, yep. and then that's that's how we do it. Cool. That's how we do it. That's how it works out. Super cool. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really cool as long as you don't have to do it. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, everything's fun until yeah, you have to yeah. put the steel to the wheel. Oh, that's yeah, that's when everything's all bets are off. You're black from oh. from your belly up to your eye. Oh yeah. Yep. 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 No doubt. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick coffee break, and we will be back in a flash, as far as you guys are concerned, for the next segment. Hope you guys are enjoying this. We're really glad to have our friend in town and be able to sit in on the show. So this is, uh, to me, this is awesome. So we will uh, chat in a moment. What's happening, gang? Matt Martin of Behind the Blade Podcast. I... In this show, we've got our buddy over from Belgium, and we were talking about various guided systems and the thing that makes all the importance in the world when it comes to selecting one, and that is what are your third-party options and how good is their customer service? Because you need to be able to contact them. These are potentially complex contraptions, and there is a bit of a learning curve, and it helps to get a leg up. Well, when it comes to our friends over at KME Sharpeners, that is what you get. Not only are they a universal fit with a lot of our other supporters, medias, and upgraded stones, but you can call the company and get one-on-one help and tech support when it comes to using your new KME sharpening system. Furthermore, 
We've talked about this in the show before. Every component, save possibly, and this is the truth, one screw in the entire setup is not 100% positive if, if it's made in the U.S. or not. So the thing is 99.99999% made of U.S. sourced components and parts, and it's 100% made in the U.S. So you have fitment from aftermarket purveyors, you've got bomber customer service and tech support, and you have an American-made product made of American-made products. You need look no further than KME Sharpener, so go check them out on kmesharp.com, and be sure to tell them Behind the Blade sent you. Oh, and we're back. Sorry, I'm getting all kinds of points and cues, and you you can just say, now, Matt. (laughs) <laughs> as long as you promise to always give me a couple seconds of editing. Deal. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we're back. So we're going to kind of do, you know, some more uh, news kind of rock the industry this week. And it's it's worth kind of doing a combined, unfortunately, history segment. And uh, uh, what, do you, what would you say? Uh, recognizing yeah. the loss of a giant. Yeah. And, and, uh, and this is definitely, this definitely was a complete surprise because it was just totally out of the blue. To break away from uh, radio convention where we just try to keep you hooked on the line long enough that we can sell you the advertisements, uh, we're just going to cut right to the chase right now. A.G. Russell died. A.G. Russell was a, a giant in the industry before there was social media, before there was uh, anybody could host a website, before it was so easy to <clears throat> proliferate an individual brand, you had A.G. A.G. looked out for up-and-coming talent. He would grab people up and then skyrocket them to the top by taking their knives and their products and putting mm-hmm. them before the public, the discerning public that would yep. be watching these periodicals and these catalogs, waiting mm-hmm. to see what the fresh blood was in the industry. Yep. And I mean, just a, a hell of a guy. Um, you know, I had only one limited interaction with A.G. Russell personally on my level. Mm-hmm. And I had a Facebook request from him, like a friend request. This is before Pages was a thing and all that. Right. And it was vehement knives, and he sends me a request, and we had a bunch of messages and requests that were coming in those days, and I, I didn't notice. And then he sends me a private message, and he says, uh, hey, I'm going through and cleaning up my inbox, and I notice you haven't responded. Um, are, are you going to accept my friend request or not? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and it was the biggest, most apologetic. I'm sorry, sir. I had not realized. I didn't see it. Please forgive me. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And then there was an exchange of niceties and a couple brief uh, correspondence. And and then that was pretty much it. So I can't say that I never uh, had a beer with the guy or anything like that. But there is nothing but the utmost respect from my camp when it comes to A.G. Russell, in not only the recruitment and promotion of up-and-coming knife makers who showed promise, who showed legitimate promise, but also as a designer and just a real knife enthusiast himself. I mean, he had, you look at stuff, our our history segment today is actually going to be on the A.G. Russell sting. So we're going to get into that boot knife here in a minute because there is a lot of meat to discuss, a lot of interesting facets to the design. But everything from that to a, a litany of field knives and being just a purveyor of the top brands, the top mm-hmm. makers that you've heard us talk about in here, we're in the A.G. Russell catalog. Oh, yeah, you know? 100%. Even to this day, Randall <clears throat> knives are still sold on there, mm-hmm. you know, new Randall. So, yep. Yep. But, 
it's interesting that you brought up the point of uh, of, of how prolific A.G. Russell was back in the day before the internet. He was the single most... He, was, he had the largest mailing list of people who purchased high-end knives in the world. So if you got in the A.G. Russell catalog, you were almost guaranteed to have decent sales. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Some degree of success. So, <clears throat> go hard. Oh, no. It's just, it, and obviously, would you say that he made an impact in Europe and Belgium? Did, was, was A.G. Russell uh, a knife community household name? Yeah. yeah. Um, when we started, when I started to get into, uh, into knives... Uh, AG was still fairly active, like even on the early forum days, this and that. He had an account. He'd chime in once in a while. He had some bar creeper knives up. Mm -hmm. He would, like, there's, I wouldn't say he posted all the time, but he would definitely check in on the forums and this and that and give his two cents once in a while. Uh, and as far as personal interaction, I never talked to him directly as far as I can recall, maybe one or two forum posts. But... The impact he had on new knife makers, I think, is bigger than most people think it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it would be hard to put a metric to. Like, today we can, I can be like, oh, Jim Stewart, how many friends do you have? How many yeah, likes right, does Bark right. River have? Right. And, but at this point, without knowing their mailing list numbers, you would have no idea the, right. the reach that they had. Other than the fact that I can talk to somebody from... 5,000 miles away. I don't know how far Belgium is from here yeah, door to door, but yeah, <laughs> let's say 5,000 miles away and still have somebody be like, oh yeah, you know, in the community is still a household name. Yep. So, I mean, that's yeah. impact and that's pre-viral. In those days, when you said viral, you better get a shot of penicillin. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> that's crazy. And that's just a huge impact to make on a community. So when... We lose somebody like that. Obviously, we have nothing but to embrace the legacy. There's still kind of a, a, a smoky crater left, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, in the industry as a whole and of the members who at least appreciate the industry for what it was. Excuse me one second. I just got to do it. There we go. And uh, so, yeah, anything you'd like to add? I know that uh, your company has ties to the A.G. Russell brand and catalog. Um, yeah, the, uh, we actually uh, made a couple of knives for AG way back in the day, way back when Bark River was much younger. Um, I know that he had featured our Highland and Woodland, yep. and our uh, I think our Mini Canadian, yeah, as well. Um, and our and our Micro Canadian, actually, if I if I think about it, as well. That was that was back when we had the the the, the one single knife with it. We got four different knives out of. Yeah. <laughs> back in the early you know first couple of years of Bark River, I know that um, he it uh, you know helped us pay the bills quite a bit and they got our knives out there and uh and <clears throat> it was ag it was ag that had convinced dad um kind of all together that uh you know the opening price point of, of that broker for knife should be 89.95 yeah, really no opening price point and so we did it and and uh we would definitely not be where we were today without dad's relationship to ag yeah. not just from bark river but also through blackjack and then and then through previous iterations of business right you know and doing a lot of stuff ag was always there and um, he always believed in dad, and uh, and, uh, and dad believed in AG. That's and, and and it was it was this homogenous relationship that they both would just go back and forth, and they would always have a good time. I think AG was over at like our house a few times for for um, just uh, just for dinner back when we were in Illinois. I remember meeting him and Goldie a couple of times. I think they stayed at our house. That's awesome. <laughs> Your dad was saying that yeah that they did come over and yeah. they would hang out. Oh, oh yeah, that's too cool. Oh yeah, no, and and, uh, and he was always super nice to me, and I barely remember it unfortunately because I was like eight. Right, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. When when it happened, um, 
But uh, no, he was definitely an icon. No, and, yeah. and he will he will absolutely be missed. And there's just a lot so. of respect. All the people that you guys uh, look up to, whether you're a maker or a, a collector, you know what I mean. All these brands, you know, a lot of them back in the day got yeah. their start in the AG Russell catalog. Like that's yeah, where they kicked off. You know, yeah. that's how they got brought to fame. And uh, so. I think the entire industry, all the way down to the consumer level, to the, from the manufacturing level to the consumer level, um, owes a great deal of respect to the man and the company that he created, which is still going strong to this very day. It is. It's yeah. still going strong right now at this moment. So even, yeah. even after AG's passing, I mean, they're still, you know, they're doing business right now. I was on their website yeah. today looking at it because I was looking at knives and looking at mm -hmm. AG's knives and the Sting specifically so I could get some history on it. Sure. And uh, it, it, it's pretty cool. If you, if you scroll up to the top of their website homepage in the top left the first thing you'll read is our retail store is currently and right now it's 8 31 p.m eastern time it says closed but there was something kind of heartwarming today when i was going through it at five o'clock mm -hmm. and it said our retail store is currently open and i, I was yeah. like i was like you know what i don't know why that had such a profound impact on me probably because knowing that the man behind it the guy whose name is right underneath it yep. is now passed away and it was like we're still doing business, guys. Yeah. So I just I thought that was a cool thing. Well, I mean that that was by design on his end. So so you know that you know after the curtain closes, the show goes on. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, yeah, no absolutely. Yeah, after this, and it's it's super cool. Super super cool. So today we're going to talk about in the history segment. Um, I had to do some some reading and some research, so we're kind of paraphrasing through some notes that I thought were important. But uh, today we're going to go over AG's. Arguably most iconic model, I would say, and that would be the Sting. And a lot of people only recognize the Sting now from Columbia River, but the reality is that pattern was developed in 1975. So some what, was that 45 years? 45 years ago? I can't. How, how, math what's right the now. math on that? I, I don't know. I 1975 to 2018, 43, 40. No, yeah, 43 years. It's been 43 years. Is That's that right? Yep. Yeah. So 43 years ago, he developed the Sting as a boot knife. And he had this kind of revolutionary concept to make a fully, excuse me, a fully drop forged knife. So that basically that means that uh, drop forging is you have like a, a, a negative die and the stock is moved into it while red hot and that die slams together and mm -hmm. usually goes through a progressive sets of dies right. yep. to end right. in a final shape. Usually three three you know three or four right and yeah just boom 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 so not not like hand forged where a man with a hammer is tuning it the whole time mm -hmm. it goes through progressive dies and you get a semi-finished project product at the end right yes so he had this concept he's like i want a drop forged boot knife that we could just drop handle scales into between the bolsters without having to fit all the bolsters right so he went through the united states u.s <clears throat> nobody was willing to do it mm -hmm. he went to the uk went to sheffield england and he said hey can you guys drop forge these blanks and then hollow grind the the blade bevels right they couldn't do it and so finally he goes to germany finds an outfit in germany mm -hmm. and he says can you drop forges and they said yes we can he goes good can you hollow grind the bevels and they said no <laughs> <laughs> he says he goes well he looks at the, the shop manager he, he said do you make razors here like you know uh, straight, straight razors yeah, they said yes and like, he took, so he you took, know how to hollow grind right <laughs> he took two razors and put them spine to spine he said make it a double-sided razor because this thing is a dagger. It's yeah. a it's a small boot knife daggers type thing. And the guy grabs the idea, runs out, runs it by the owner, and they were in business. So now this thing is about to become a reality. That's awesome. And it actually ran that way all the way from 1977 to 1997. And that outfit ended up closing down. And, and with it, 
went the tooling, which got sold for scrap. So oh, no. the the birth oh, no. of this vision for twenty years ago, twenty three, twenty two years ago, is gone, oh, yeah. and he has to start from scratch. And so he he did, and he was actually I'm pretty sure it was out of Taiwan that he ended up going through his connections at Columbia River mm-hmm. uh, in the early nineties, if I'm not mistaken. And then he had the Sting, the Sting Two, which is slightly larger version, same mm-hmm. concept, right? The Sting 1A. Now, the Sting 1A was unique. It was drop forged, mm-hmm. but it was a solid one-piece handle. There was no scale uh, inset to drop in a scale. Right, interesting. Right? Yeah. So that was uh, when he came out with the A1, you know, that was kind of cool because it was a price point. It was even less labor, and it was still equally cool, right, and it had yeah. so much to it. There's a lot of stories of people using um, the Sting in a defensive capability. One of them that he recounts on the website, which I invite you guys to go check out, on uh, – what is it? AG Russell. AG Russell.com. Yeah. Go to AG Russell.com and look up this thing. And you'll be able to get a lot of this history from there. Um, in fact, I'm going to drive you to that website to take a look at it so that you can see, but there is a pretty harrowing tale about a CIA agent in Ugandan prison who happened to have a sting on him. Oh, man. <laughs> so pretty crazy. Right. Um, so yeah, see, he, uh, he actually approached Columbia river and said, Hey, we'd be interested in your knives. And in much in the way that this happens in the knife industry at that point, Columbia river is like, dude, we cannot, afford to make this many knives for you we we're not big enough we're too small we can't do this well eventually they were goldie made a pretty from the hip purchase on like ten thousand kisses holy crap like five thousand serrated wow. and, five, and they're on our table they're sitting at the table like talking like hey mm-hmm. here are our models here's what we're presenting and goldie's like i'll take five thousand of those and five thousand of those and all of a sudden columbia river is taking a huge leap into the future mm-hmm. right? right and from that day they had a relationship where he was comfortable going back and forth with them to try to bring his his uh, idea back to life. And the Sting 3, so after the 1A, which was just the fully forged version, yeah. there was this Sting 3. And even though he attempted it, it never happened. He, he spent two years developing, trying to get prototypes, and nothing ever came of it. So he abandoned the project until 2010, and that's where Columbia River stepped in, used their contacts, and the rest is history. The Sting 3 is a real knife right now, which I want one desperately, kind of to commemorate this time and because it's a beautifully crafted knife. Mm. It's made in Taiwan, but as we know with Spyderco, Spyderco's top tier yeah. is out of Taichung, Taiwan. So yeah, we can't turn the, our noses up yeah, at that, they have at, the, that country. All the uh, production. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In spades, right? So yes. 40 years of success in this one single model, and none of it was easy one. Everything uh, was yeah. a fight to get it to happen, but he had a vision. And he realized that vision. And even after everything went to hell and back, he was still able to continue that legacy into a production knife that is being made today. And you want to talk about an iconic blade that deserves some historical recognition. It would be the A.G. Russell Sting. And the Sting 3, gorgeous, gorgeous, hollow ground boot knife. Cocobolo scales. I think they have some in Black Micarta too. But they're just beautiful little knives. So I recommend you guys go check them out. Uh, so if you are kind of new to the community and, and maybe you don't know the history behind this, but you're seeing a lot of posts on Facebook about us losing A.G. Russell, that's who he was. And that's the company that he created that still is. So, yeah, go check them out. Go see what's on there. They've got a great catalog to go through. And as you do that, you can't help but to kind of feel like a kid in that, oh, I want to see what's in the latest A.G. Russell catalog. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Except it's updated daily, right? Yeah, yeah. I used to check that out every yeah. time I visit dad at work. And always be different. It's yep. awesome. Every time you see that catalog, just go through it. 
every damn time. Every time. Yeah, you know, just yep. thumbing through it. And I'm, it's so yeah. cool. And, and and I would say the closest today would be something like Blue Ridge, but that's not really a consumer level. You can't order from them. Right. Well, a, a I mean, well, well, the, the AG Russell catalog is designed for a consumer level. It is. You know, yeah. so, so when you look through it, it's formatted. You know, with with like, there's the knife. It's a really nice picture on a nice background. Yeah. With nice font, with a little description and the price, and the options if available. Yep. And then it goes on to the next one, and then you can yep. just. It would I mean, say Bark River Knife's Highland Special, eighty nine ninety five. You have three handle options. I think green, black canvas. It's a two thousand two version, two thousand two edition. I think antique stag bone. We I had antique stag bone, black and black canvas, and green canvas. Yep, that, that was, was it. it. I love it. That was it. Yeah, it was cool. Yep. So cool. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the history segment. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. It's a little bittersweet for us, but it's always great recounting tales of legacy. So we will be back in just a moment for our final segment of the show. Stay tuned. What's happening, gang? Here to tell you about our friends, Tom and company at Jen. <laughs> Jim is having a tuberculosis attack. Hang on. <laughs> we good? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. What's happening, gang? Matt Martin, Behind the Blade podcast, here to tell you about Jenda Industries and what amazing creation they have come out with recently, and that is the Max Concentration Poly Diamond Emulsion. Well, that's a lot of syllables for a tiny bottle, but you know what's in that tiny bottle? The highest carrot count of diamonds in the emulsion that you can possibly get before it turns into sludge. So in order to still be effective, this is the most that they've scientifically been able to engineer into this slurry. And you can use this on your kangaroo hide strops, you can use this on your nano cloth strops, or just a standard leather strop, all the same to get that beautiful mirror polished edge. They range from 15 micron all the way down to, hang on to your hats kids, 0.10 micron. That's, that's pretty fine. I mean, it, it barely exists at all, right? It's a, a borderline subatomic. So. Go check them out, and if you have questions about nanocloth strops and what they can do for you, why don't you hop all over the Genda website and find out what all the hype's about. I know I've got a big old nanocloth stropping block that I use, and I love it, and that is that gets my, and I'm, look, I only use four micron, what can I say? I'm not as good as some of you guys are, but I'll put that four micron emulsion on there and whip that edge right up. I also use the kangaroo strops on my KME system. So go check them out. See the broad range of products. You're going to find everything from freehand sharpening supplies, kitchen cutlery supplies, guided system accessories, and of course, the Max Concentration Poly Diamond Emulsion. So go check them out. Be sure to tell me that Behind the Blade sent you. And don't forget to use the coupon code. Jim, what have we got from Jenna to hook our listeners up? The code is BTBTRENCH. Use that at checkout for 10% off most sharpening products and straps on GendaIndustries.com. And we are back. Uh, Matt and I just kind of had a silent fight of finger pointing over who to bring us in. Usually Matt's pretty on point on, the, on this one. I, uh, I I stole it from him. I didn't want to hog the heirs. You know? <laughs> heirs, they're plural, all these heirs. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. We're back. And uh, so we've got a discussion point because we've got muscles from Brussels in town. And um, so, so uh, point of discussion. 
it's, point of contention. Sometimes. Point of contention. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, it's pretty accurate. Is is uh, safe queens versus users? Yeah. Are they different? Are they one and the same? Do you just keep your users in the safe for nice keeping, or do they just go in the safe and never come out? There you go. So, Mikhail, what is your stance on safe queens? I have a very strong opinion about this, and I know probably both of you are going to disagree, but I don't buy any knife and don't intend on using it. But that is mostly because the knives I buy are all made for using, so they're not weapons. They're all tools. Right. There's no, like, dragon's right. wing sculpted out of brass sticking off the back end or... No, no. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right, or... Mm-hmm. 95% Timascus. No, they're all... Mm-hmm. Right. No Buster Wierenski, $50,000 emerald-encrusted daggers. Pretty, well, let's say a really good craftsmanship, but I go kind of berserk when people buy a knife that is like 1100 bucks and very high-end materials and then never use it because at that point, you might as well use 420 stainless steel for the blade instead of whatever high-end stainless Instead steel. Instead of M390, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah, that was probably easier to polish. <laughs> I, I personally think I if you're an art knife maker, which there are plenty of them out there, look at, yeah. uh, oh, what's her name? The, the, Delana? I'm not familiar Del- with this. Oh, yeah. I got to look it up now. Yeah. Oh, hang on, I got my other, my, okay. my device. Yeah. Uh, and I can't think, I can't even think of her husband's name. I'm drawing a total blank right now, but they did the time machine. They do a lot of steampunk art knife oh, yeah. folders. I, I've and seen stuff. a lot of that at IWA uh, at uh, the Messerfreunde um, meetings. They had a lot right. of those steampunk knives. Were you, were you there for that? Yeah. 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 That was cool. That was uh, cool. I had a lot of stuff like oh, that. Oh, I can't believe, I feel so bad uh, that I'm drawing a complete, uh, Van Barnett. That's what I'm thinking of. Van Barnett and his wife make amazing art pieces. So when you do an art knife, I think it has to be made to the same standard, baseline standard of a high-performing knife using premium materials. It has to function as a knife. And then the embellishments can go beyond those limits. Because I would have a hard time recognizing an art knife, however artistic, however complex, however over-embellished that it might be, and have it be made out of like 420. Yeah. Or, you know what okay, I mean? Or right. mystery steel. Um, I just looked at time machine knife, and that seemed to work pretty good. I, that yeah, brought I up think, I think uh, I Van Barnett stuff. There's some of his stuff right there. I mean, he, he does amazing stuff, which is super cool. We also, as knife users, have a different... I've seen this in person. Yes, yeah, yeah me mm-hmm. too. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. We have a different um, view of what a knife is, when in reality... Something like this, like art knives themselves, there's an element of danger just in the fact that it is a knife. So somebody who lives maybe a more innocuous lifestyle that doesn't have that, there's something, pardon the pun, but there's something edgier about a work of art also being a knife. Sure. Yeah, and, okay. And there's an allure to that that isn't present in the bushcraft community when they're like, no, no, I'm going to no. cut down this tree and I'm going to make a house out of it. Right. You know what I right. mean? Like that's a totally different mindset. You know, imagine that you live in a sea of silk ties and you get to indulge yourself because you've made a good living and you can afford these ten, twenty thousand dollar knives. Um, you may have other works of art that are not cutlery related at all, and kind of the spookiest part of your art collection could be a knife. Or the other side, like Rick 
you know, Tricky uh, Slick Rick or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. R- uh, Rick Monsoor. Yeah. Rick Monsoor. Ricky Monsoor. Yeah, so now this guy who at one point owned the King Tut knife yep. from Buster Warhensky, arguably <laughs> one of the most expensive knives ever created. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you know, this guy is a knife guy all the way from the Buck 110 to the absolute pinnacle of knife collecting. Yeah. So I think you also outgrow your market. Like for me, um, and I'm only speaking for me, and you can say that you agree or disagree, yeah. I can only afford users. Yeah, I I can't afford a Bob Loveless Big Bear, you know what I mean? That would run twenty grand to just say I have it. Like that's not in my yes and no. I mean, I have knives from custom makers that when I bought them were up upcoming makers, like and they would sell for two hundred bucks, and now the same model, people are offering seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred, or way over that for the same knife, and craftsmanship is user right not it's not uh, labeled as an art knife or it doesn't have the same fit and finish but not to disrespect bob loveless but i had one of his drop point hunters and it didn't hate this so much it didn't have (laughs) a better finish than your knives have matt i mean i hate that too well that's (laughs) no it's it is what it is. It's not well, better it's easy, or worse. It's, it's easy for it's, me to walk in and, I mean, that's like Sir Isaac Newton. If it appears that I see farther, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so anybody can go make a loveless drop hunter or a shoot knife or even a right. big bear. Anybody who mm-hmm. can handle spinning abrasives and, mm-hmm. and, and a drill can do these exact same things. It's the guy who did it first that yeah. made the splash. The rest yeah, of us exactly. just built shanties right. in his crater. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? He made that initial impact. Yeah. So, that, that I mean, that's how I view it. Right, but they're still utilitarian designs, and yes. when they came out, they were affordable, or more or less affordable, and they gained value over time and turned into collector's pieces now, but they were designed and made as user knives, but because they're no longer made, now they're collector items. Right. And I I don't do that. I use my Draw Point Hunter, and people will frown on that. And that's, that's I See, and I don't frown on that. Like, mm-hmm. if I, if There's going to be a point in my life where I carry a loveless drop point hunter or yeah. a Lawndale utility or whatever it is that's a small edc mm-hmm. knife mm-hmm. there's going to come a point in my career things are different as a knife maker than a knife buyer you tend to find different deals you're sure. part of yeah. the circle as yeah. opposed to being on the outside waiting to be let in so i know that when the time is right i'm going to end up with a bob loveless made knife mm-hmm. and i'll probably die with that effer on my hip yeah. Yeah. You, you know what i mean and and i'm going to use it for everything from picking fingernails to opening boxes to prying a jammed <laughs> shotgun shell out of a single shot action. You know what I mean? Like, th- that's just what's uh-huh. going to happen. And they deserve to be revered that way. Now, going back, this was an interesting point that you brought up as far as price goes. A using knife. And we'll take it back to imagine the Hudson Bay trading company era where mm-hmm. you had to turn in so many beaver pelts to get paid. <laughs> yep. And yeah. with that, you bought a knife that you took with you to the frontier of known man. Right. Yep. So yes. do you know how much knives cost back then? Yes. Oh yeah. They were relatively cheap. They? Well, by our standards, right? Well, yeah, yeah they cost a week's wage. Yeah. They cost oh, okay. a week's wage. Yeah. Basically what you could do in a week that's how much somebody would be comfortable spending on a knife. Right. All right. So wouldn't that stand to say then a week's wage puts every knife enthusiast 
on a spectrum. You know what yeah, I mean? Sure, some okay. guys make 400 bucks a week. Some mm-hmm. guys make $4,000 in a yeah, week. Okay. So wherever you're at in life, I mean, there was a point where all I could afford, well, I couldn't even afford Spydercos or Sogs. Mm-hmm. I would drool over them. You know what I mean? There would be like, uh, I think one of my first high quality folders, I spent $40 on at the knife shop in a mall and mm-hmm. it had G10 scales. And I want to say it was Timberline, but it may not have been a Timberline um, in retrospect. <laughs> but, you know, and then you have guys who buy Emerson's for 200 bucks, you know yeah. what I mean? Or whatever it is. So I do think that that is a good barometer and wherever you sit and if you want the better knife, but you only make 400 bucks a week, then maybe you're going to want the $600 knife and you're going to have to save up for it for a couple months, you know, because mm-hmm. obviously you don't blow your whole paycheck on it. You know obviously what I mean? Not, yeah. But what, even like production knives, as soon as they get discontinued, they gain value. Not all of them, but like some of them do like the Spydeco Sleaze Bowie. That was and it came out 300, 300, yeah. give or take. And I've seen them on Instagram now going for 400, 450 Are you kidding? bucks. And yeah. it's been discontinued for a year. I mean, they gain value even though they're user nice. Well, it's supply and demand. I mean, right. there's, there's no more supply. No. And yeah, people right. who use right. them, use them up. Yes. Yeah, so, you know what I mean? Yeah, they so don't let them back out. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's it. just like anything. I'm, today I'm carrying a Randall uh, Model 5 from the 50s. Yeah, it's a camp and trail right. from the late awesome. 50s, early 60s. And this is this is one beat-ass yep. knife. You know, I got this from Reed over at uh, North Star Trading Post. Mm-hmm. And I've been in love with it for almost a year now until we finally worked out a fairly convoluted deal. But it was a, a good Reed's, – Reed's always <laughs> right. good to deal with. In fact, I had to stop Reed from just handing it to me saying mm-hmm. – We'll make it up later because I don't want to. I don't want right. to have that stigma hanging over right. me. But what we have is we have this highly collectible knife that is knackered. Like this thing is just beat to hell. It is. Oh, there's a chip in the spine. And oh, I'm yeah. Oh, it. totally. <laughs> and and I use it, and I can feel comfortable because it was made to use. Mm-hmm. However, if you were to find the same knife in pristine condition, the odds of it surviving its first year pristine mm-hmm. are slim to none so yeah. the value goes way up you True. know what i mean yeah. and then all of a sudden you are faced with that conundrum to bring it back full circle you're faced with that conundrum this knife let's say this was brand new in the box still had the paperwork with it do i want to be the one that ruins this historical piece do i i mean of course i will you know but do i want to be the guy who takes one more specimen out of the lab you know what i mean and and all of a sudden uses it and now it's no different than every other used randall from the 50s as a knife sharpener and recreational maker yes because i there's the few customs i ever made and the knives i sharpen i want to see them used all of them yes and if i'm dead then the customs that are all beaten up might just as well die. I don't care about them at that point anymore. I, I agree with that, but you're also saying that you've sharpened it. So at that point, and from and I don't care how great right. of a job you do on it, but you've altered it from factory. Yeah. So you've taken what could be a museum piece, not just by sharpening, no, no, no. but I mean, I mean the knives that I made. I, I mean, oh, I, have you made. Few, I, I have a few customs that that somebody in Texas has, or uh, a couple of guys in England have. When they don't use them and just keep them in safekeeping, that annoys me because I didn't make them 
in the first place to be safe coins. Oh, right. That offends me when people do that, <clears throat> yeah. when they're like, oh, it's right. in the safe and I don't use it. Because so from a maker standpoint, I think we all like our knives to be used and have not to. just half yeah. collecting dust on a shelf somewhere. Well, I mean, it, we're, we're constantly questioning ourselves about whether or not we did a good job. Yeah. Right, right. So we want to be able to prove that we did a good job. So go out and use the knives. How can you right? build because a reputation a, otherwise? Right, right, right. I mean, it's like, a, it's like, a, uh, do I want a reputation on how well my knife performs? Right. Or do and I want a reputation on how nice my polish is? And we all right. need the knives right. as users, not like our knives, which are primarily made as art. Mm-hmm. There's right, yeah, exactly. They so set out to us, make it. It's art more knife. of a compliment to use it, and I think that most makers are like that, especially the ones that I buy from. Yeah. So I like to use mine. It's not, uh, you know, Bob even touched on this. It's not for us to say who is going to be a famous knife maker through the history yeah. books to say that. Yep. You know what I mean? So you have to make users jumping out the gates yep. if you call yourself a knife maker. Then Otherwise, again, you can be an artist that uses right. elements of knives in your work. Right. Right. Let's say to come back to the point where are you going to be the one that ruins this pristine museum piece? Let's say you find the 100 year old marbles knife that has patina over it and the pommel's a little bit loose and the stack litter. You're going to restore that or are you going to keep it as it is? No, I'm going to restore it and restore use it. it. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you because it? I carry a 1926 five inch marbles yeah. ideal. I think, I, think my, I think my dad stole mine because I have one somewhere. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. Now it's gone. <laughs> because at that point I'm probably going to keep it as it is with all the glory and patina and what it is I, I would tighten the handle up and refinish the handle that I would keep probably mm-hmm. as it is because gotcha. there's plenty of other knives I can use sure and it already has so much history in it that I would just keep it gotcha oh, that's interesting so we actually mm-hmm. we switch places yep. when it comes yep. to this yeah if, if it was a brand new Randall from the 50s there I would, would the shit out I it. would have a really hard time <laughs> taking it out of the box for the first time because to your point I could just go get uh, right. a randall and yep. use it you know or make something comparable mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but uh if you found something that was a little bit beat you would actually preserve it yeah. at that point that's crazy that's a really interesting perspective jim where do you sit on that spectrum where do i sit on the spectrum of, wh- of whether or not finding a knife and using it <clears throat> or well if you found a pristine antique like showroom new antique would you mm-hmm. use it a show I would first take a look at it and find out if there's any value. Am I going to destroy any value if I do it? Because let's because assume I guess, yes. Let's okay. say it's a 1955 <clears throat> Randall Model Five. Let's just say it, well, okay. That particular example, I would actually restore it and I would use it. What if it needed it. no restoration? If it needed, I would still it, do it. Had it. Been, it had been coated in oil. Mm-hmm. It is nice. It's been kept in the box away from sunlight. Nobody's handled it. You, I'm glad you didn't grab the knife. No, 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 no. I knew where the knife was. Um, was, a, was a fruit fly. So it, <laughs> it's perfect. It looks exactly like it did on the first day that it was made. Oh, I would use it. You would use oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. And if you found yep. this same knife mm-hmm. in this condition, would you use it or let it sit, retire it? I would not retire it. I would absolutely take that thing right to the grinder, and I would smooth everything out, and I'd put some fresh grinds on it. Bring it back up to sharp, and then I'd use it. That part's effing terrifying to me. And I've read, <laughs> I've read grounds in expensive knives, like some knives that I'm like, yeah. yep. here we go. Well, you know, I, I, I take a look at it. Well, that's the nice thing about the, the slack bell grinding is that it's super free form, right? And then, and then polishing after that, you can just kind of blend it all kind of. So you would you've gone back to it, dude. I I have such a hard time not using. Or, or let me let me rephrase this. As somebody who loves making knives, I don't like being around a lot of people all the time but but i love making i love making knives one of my favorite things in the entire world is to go into the shop on a saturday with nobody there yep and just make knives restoring something like that i would consider a fun saturday i hate making knives 
I, I know you do. I, I hate know it. You do. I hate it so much <laughs> that I hate it just slightly less than I love the finished product. It is a means to an end. Like I love grinding, bevel grinding, like that. And is, you're really good at it too. I, I do like that part, the but shit out of me. I hate. <laughs> I absolutely abhor the process because it's frustrating. It's upsetting. Yep. And I never feel yes. like I'm doing good enough, so it's kind of self-abusing all the time. So <laughs> it's a uh, it's a gauntlet. Every night yeah. that it goes out there, it's <laughs> it's been an experience to get to the finished product. But I so I find no recreation in it. Like, <laughs> I, I am like, like, oh, you know what I'm gonna do with my free time? You know, I used to feel that <laughs> way. Fly to the but... US and, uh... <laughs> that's you. Make yeah. nice for a couple of oh, weeks. No, that's yeah. crazy to me. I you know I and I. Even grinding, like I hate it. I absolutely, <laughs> absolutely hate it. You're like the last thing I want to do. No, it's, and, it's and I'm sure people are like, "Oh, he must really love his job, and he's so immersed in it." I'm like, I cannot stand it. I really, I cannot. I, I love. You just like it doubles. a little bit more than any other job out there. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day. What oh. would I do? <laughs> what job would I walk into when they're like, "Here's when you're allowed to take a leak." <laughs> that would go over like a lead balloon. Like it would just be. There's no way that. First of all, I am a walking EEO complaint. <laughs> like I, I, if they, if you have like an employee file, I might as well just hand them like those big four inch three ring binders and say, let's just start here because S is about to pop off. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm not a good employee in the sense that. I, I mean, I have, a, I guess, a limited respect for authority, but I, I couldn't do anything other than this. Like, I, I really can't um, just because I do love the industry. Mm-hmm. I love the finished product. I love the history. There are facets of the manufacturer that I enjoy on a personal level. And the rest of it, I hate about as much as I hate everything else. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we're helping you find a small sliver of satisfaction yep. yeah, I in think, what you do. If I can get, like... <laughs> A guy who's really good at hafting, and I could get uh, some pre-machined parts that weren't quite so labor-intensive and fitting and stuff like that. Like if I could, if I could do those things, and they were like, Matt, I just want you to prototype because when you prototype, like make a mm-hmm. custom that you want to make, not that somebody paid you that you have to make. Right. When you do that, like that is the two a.m. sucking down cold coffee. Like yep. I just want to bring this to life. I have this idea, and yeah, it's you're talking bursting about it. out my skull, and I just have to do it. Yep. So, mm-hmm. but. Uh, knife making as a professional isn't that that's what it was as a hobbyist yeah right as a professional you're like ah cripes why did they order this this is a stupid knife why did they why did they order this and why did i accept the order back then i hate this knife oh this is a 650th ultralight bushcraft i've seen today (laughs) there's no magic in that you know what i mean like uh, there's a nice production productions is what it is but it's still a better job than any other out there. Better than flipping burgers, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, it's uh, uh, unfortunately though, I think if I was the manager of a burger flipping joint, I'd probably still make more money, <laughs> 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 and at least consistently. Right? Yeah. But I do That's have funny. some nice watches. So. <laughs> You can't trade burgers for anything. No, no. And, and yeah, you don't walk into like the burger convention and they're like. Dude, would you like some ripple cut pickles? <laughs> because I know for a fact I have received gifts from friggin' masters. And and I'm That's like, awesome. this is this right. is really cool. This this compensate I know I'm hogging the mic, but yeah, this is a, a point. I had a an acquaintance, uh, we were actually really close friends many years ago before knife making. We started making knives together at one point. 
and uh, work ethic for garbage. And not me, him, you know, just to make the story clear. And he was very needy in his wants. So at one point, like, he couldn't live another day without a Microtech Scarab. Now, this is uh, 10, 12 years ago, mm-hmm. right? And his wife worked as a waitress and really worked her ass off. Um, their kid slept on blankets in the corner of their single wide trailer, right? Mm-hmm. And this guy just mm-hmm. had to have this switchblade. Right. And that is uh, indicative of the entire time that I knew this dude. Like, he just had to have, like, the, the, the Gucci yeah. gear. But he, mm-hmm. did, he didn't work himself. He didn't have a job himself. Yeah. He just made his old lady pay for it. Meanwhile, the kid is kind of living a crummy life. You know what I mean? So I, I, there was always this kind of weird contempt mm-hmm. muddled with this really jaded envy. Like, dude, I bust my ass. Yeah. to do everything I do and I can't afford any of the stuff that you're just like gimme 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 right. and that he gets and he, he was very proud of it you know doing this and doing that and you know always showing his stuff off and really like ooh pr- prestigious about all these tchotchkes that he had strapped to his Batman utility belt and I was like <laughs> dude I like that stuff too but I can't afford it and then now I look at my life and I look at I don't want to give away too much so I'm going to try to redact as much as I can but this year at Blade a customer came to me and said, hey, uh, I'll be at your table as soon as I, I go to this drop that was at another table. Mm-hmm. And it was this limited edition knife that was being dropped and the line was wrapping around the friggin' building. Well, I happened to know one of the guys that worked for that manufacturer. And I said, hey, uh, is there any way that I can buy one of these knives before the show opens so that I can get it to my customer? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just so he doesn't have to wait in line. And the guy walks over with a bag filled with employee only top tier swag like little titanium trinkets and awesome. all kinds of crazy stickers and patches and everything like that and the knife mm-hmm. and he goes here for your customer and I got I got to tell my guy I was like hey um, here you don't have to wait in line and I got to hand it to him like a happy meal you know what I mean like, <laughs> yeah. like, like here's with the here's, best toy ever <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm like Here's your knife. And I just got to give him that. And of course, you know, I could have uh, kept it and been like, oh, you know what I mean? But that whole experience. So so whereas this person earlier in my life, uh, you know, hoarded these knives and and jeopardized his family's well-being, much to my chagrin uh, back in those days, now that I'm in the industry, like kind of the world is my oyster. I don't have to. I don't have to wait for drops. Sure. Yeah. I don't have to yep. deal with yeah. any of that stuff. Of and and quite often, most of my collection has either been gifts or trades with dear yep. friends that are in the industry. And so it kind of comes full circle. Yeah, and that's what I love about it. it the knife world it has validated my efforts. Sure. The things yeah. that I worked hard at, mm-hmm. even when I saw no reward in sight, all of a sudden it's come full circle and now I've got microtex coming out my ears. You know what I mean? Right? So I've got a scarab on my nightstand right now that I was given. So I'm like, see, I didn't, and my daughter sleeps in a tower overlooking her kingdom with canopies and beds and stereos and custom furniture. Right. And, and she lives the high life and I get uh, free knives time from time. And so I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is the best. Yep. You know what I mean? This is worth it. That's worth it. Yep. That's yeah. awesome. So, yeah, that's, uh, so safe queens, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that and trading is the best, though. It, it trading is. is fun. Trading is fun. It gives you a rush. Yeah. It really does. Oh, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm a, a, a chronic <laughs> trader. Yeah, a terminal <laughs> trader. I love it. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so, 
Yeah, the last trade that I did, it was a, uh, it was a one of my custom Nihon utilities for a Spiderco Paramilitary Two and M4. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. deal. Which, Which one was, one was it? Uh, um, it was, was it Black Blade. Yep, or, uh, Black Blade. Ghost G10. Yep, Black Blade. Oh, it's here. Yeah, oh, no. it's in your drawer. Oh, it is. Right, it's there. right here. We it have is. a knife drawer ah, now. Speaking of living the good oh, life, it's right there. There it is. <laughs> we have a knife drawer, by the way. So, yeah, I, I absolutely wanted one of those knives in M4 because M4 is awesome. It's better goes to heat treats on point. So I, I felt it was a good uh, good trade. So I made him a custom Nihon utility in Ghost Green Jade. <laughs> So we traded a Ghost Green Jade for Ghost Green Jade. On that, what about you, Matt? What was your What was your last trade? Uh, my last trade actually wasn't a trade at all, and uh, I mean it, it was and it wasn't. Tom crying. I hope you're listening. Nikhil mm-hmm. uh, shows up and he hands me this <laughs> this Michael Ziba, and he's like, "Look, man, I have this knife. He's like, I have zero use for it. Um, I know." That you're gonna like it though, and I'm like, Ugh, I hate contemporary folding knives. Like, there's just nothing about them that pump me up at all. And it, and he describes it, you know what I mean? He's like, it's got a nightmare grind. It's got this and it's got that, or the, you know whatever. Well, I see pictures of it. I go, oh, that is cool. You're right. I do like it. You know, he's like, I really do. And I was like, well, what do you want for it? And he's like, how about a hearty handshake? And I was like, all right, great, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'm carrying it. And as we're talking. Um, we got on the topic of Tom Crine and his uh, abilities and his contributions to the knife community and, and all these things. And we're going back and forth and how his regrinds are so awesome. And I know that Mikhail is a, a fan and a friend of Tom's. And Tom, going again full circle, had actually sent me a Northfield toothpick, I guess, a dog leg or what would you call that? Toothpick. Toothpick, yeah. yeah. He had, and he had, it was a regrind, beautiful red bone. I mean, it was, and it was in Northfield, the Great Eastern Northfield, yep. which is like my favorite pocket knife brand of all time, slip joint brand. And I love this little knife and I carried it around, but Mahil seemed really on Tom that night. So, like, the experience was getting kind of inflated a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I said, hang on one second. I have something for you. Mm-hmm. And so that I could sleep at night after receiving this generous mm-hmm. gift. I, I gave him the knife that Tom gave me, and now it's been passed around, and I got to see you light up a little yep. bit over it, and you were pretty stoked on it, and it's a really cool yep. little knife, you know? I've been carrying it pretty much every day so far. Nice. Nice. So what is the point of me having that, which I enjoyed and carried it for a while, but what's the point of it sitting in a drawer collecting dust at this point right. when it can go to somebody now who's going to appreciate it mm-hmm. a lot? Yeah, yeah. At least in that moment and that experience and everything like that. And, and now forever in the annals of Behind the Blade podcast, you'll know that I have this Ziba and he's got my <laughs> crying toothpick. You know what I mean? And, and that's kind of cool. And that is really, it's not about hoarding and collecting and not sharing. It's about sharing that experience with your friends. And yeah. there's a point where you've become inoculated to the existence of your possessions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, you're just like, Oh, I, I'm used to seeing that they become part of the background. I'm used to picking them up and enjoying yeah. it for whatever yeah. it is. Like opening the fridge and looking in there mm-hmm. and not seeing all the salad dressings that are expired lined up in the back just because you're used to seeing them. Right. You know, and, right, yeah. and there is just a point where it reaches that with everything. So you move that thing on, you know what I mean? And that makes that other person happy. Yes. And it also allows the uh, conversation where you're like, well, I did get rid of one, honey. I could get another one later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so, well, you say you got rid of one, but you don't say you got another one in return. I'm at, like, <laughs> I'm at a net zero. I got yeah. one and got rid of one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, like, oh, yeah, you got 284 knives, but yeah, but most of them were by trade. What did you trade for? Butter knives. 
other knives. <laughs> so you're saying you've always had 284 knives, but they haven't always been the same. <laughs> I just got home, and all of a sudden there was 284 knives. I don't know how. Yeah, Had to do something with it. Don't ask too many questions. Right. Hmm. That's awesome. Super cool. Well, yeah, there's, there's just too much, and then I'll let you cut me off. Uh, there, there's just too much in this to to do it for greed or wanton needs basically you know what i mean yeah. like it's just like there's so much to experience so if you have a grail knife this is going to be the end of my rant if you have a grail knife on your horizon just put it out in the universe that that is the knife that's going to come to you because it's gonna you don't have to put your family in financial jeopardy or yourself in financial yeah. jeopardy in fact do the best that you can in your life and trust me these things have a way of happening and yeah. you will learn patience the the most gratifying way that you possibly can when you realize that everything that you want just lands in your lap if you do the right yep. thing as often as you can. So. And now you have your grill knife. You have the S1 Pro. So, one last question for both of you that okay. I have. What's right. your next grill? <clears throat> All right. So, my next grill is always the next project. <laughs> so, okay. Right, right. Wait. It was a little bit of discussion for me. I want to make a Randall Model 2. Oh, okay. yeah. Two Dude, spec. The dagger, Ooh. yeah. Two okay. spec. And then I've got a bar of A2 waiting for me to, to try my hand at it. You can do so, it. Yeah, you'll so nail it. That's that's that that's my next grail knife is that is that model two that I'm gonna make. And I don't know, I really gotta get on other people's stuff so I can actually have like a real grail knife. <laughs> that's not bad. So <laughs> you want so, your grail knife is a is a mark or mark two, a, a model two that you make. Is is yeah. to, is to have the skill to to be able to pump one out. Oh okay. you have that skill. I, right. I think I think I can do it. No, you've got, you I think I can do it. Space, yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, pick right, where were you at? Uh, I'm not going to say Grail knife, but the next one that's on my horizon is a Buck One Ten Auto. Uh, Did you have one of those? I did. I gave it to somebody. It was it was was customized by. uh, Yeah. So, uh, dude, I'm sorry. I know we're running over, but I'm feeling loquacious. So this is pretty good. This is what's going to happen. A good friend, a really good friend, and a really good customer of ours came over to our house. We were hanging out. He has helped us out as starving knife makers numerous times. We're sitting in our basement, smoking cigarettes, drinking beers, and he had brought with him his grandfather's pocket watch. And Ooh. he gives me his grandfather's pocket watch that he had just had serviced, mm-hmm. and he tells me the story of when he was a little kid, and he was in a hospital, and I don't think it was his affliction. Maybe it was him with a broken arm or something like that, but his grandfather, either, either way, he's waiting in a hospital for his mom to show up. Mm-hmm. Grandfather produces his pocket watch points at it and says, when this hand reaches the three, your mom's going to be here. And it was a way for him to keep track of time as a child. So he had a story associated to it. So he even had more provenance and he hands me this thing. Of course, I am not prepared for this gesture. I don't have like this. Uh, An an equal, an equal or greater value gift. But in in that time, you know, I, he really loved this buck 110 auto that I had Huckleberry goodness and over at ghost town Mm -hmm. custom knives do a custom job on. And I love this knife, but so did he. And I think because I liked it so much that it made, to me, the gift more. Sure. Like, I, yeah. you know, I wanted to give him something that right. I didn't necessarily want to give up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, to me, it was an important thing. And he, value yeah, and he, yeah, and he really liked it. So, so yeah, that was my last one. But honestly, my, my real grail knife is, is, probably, is probably that loveless drop point. Sure, just you know to have I mean? like a true dyed-in-the-wool Loveless drop yep. point. Yeah. yeah, that says uh, R.W. Loveless Maker, Riverside, yeah. California. So the awesome. little triangles and the football-shaped logo. You yep. know what I mean? Like, cool. I, like that would be 
but I'm in no effing hurry to get it because uh, <laughs> like that is the big big money. <laughs> no, I, you know I could liquidate our archive collection and have enough to go buy one at Blade. Yeah, okay. You, you know Fine. what I mean? I and and be out nothing. I'd be out little. Right stuff on a shelf somewhere that I don't really care about or even get any pleasure looking at. So, you know what I mean? I could sell that to collectors and be able to go purchase one mm -hmm. right now uh, if it was that important. Although, it'd be kind of embarrassing because I'm like, well, Jenna needs new tires. Can I really do this? You know <laughs> what I mean? I have this knife now. Right. Uh, so, so, the way I see it is that there's going to come a point where either we have a huge blade show mm -hmm. or somebody who knows me and who has known me for years is going to walk up and say, Matt, I'll make you a killer deal on this. Right. And and I'll be like, you know what? That interaction is what I seek. That's why I don't shop on eBay, actually. I, I refuse to shop on eBay for anything that I really want because it's too easy. Mm -hmm. I can find yep. ex exactly that thing. Well, and it's I can so push. prolific now that, it, that there's no danger of you not finding it. Yeah. Right. Yo, absolutely. You know I mean? like, I mean, unless it's absolutely, totally, completely off the wall, super rare. Like, I have to have the knife that was used in the movie Total Recall. Like, right. You, Right. Like, right. that would be tough, right? right. You know what I mean? Yes. But other than that, but I can But the just... recreation from the prop house, they're everywhere. It, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't need any real provenance with it or anything like that. I just need that right circumstance. I don't care what scale color it is. I don't care any, oh, any yeah, of that of stuff because the perfect one is going to present itself and that one will be mine. And that will come at a time when I need a reminder in my life of what's important in this industry and what my role is in this industry. And it will kind of then become like a, a token reminder mm -hmm. of that so that I don't go down that dark path again. Sure. You, you know what I mean? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, it's not a bad grail. Yeah. It's a good grail. I think, it, mm -hmm. I think it's, that, up, it's up there in price, right? That, it's up that's, there in that's, desirability. It's and, worthy and it's achievable. Yeah. Especially especially with the, you know, the, the kind of positions that we're in. Right. Yep. You know, to be, yep. able, to be able to make all right. What what's about your, what's your yeah? What about you? Right now, uh, either uh, mm -hmm. a Bark River oh. Ultralight Bushcrafter. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm done with seeing those for a couple of months. Uh, no, either uh, a Brian Efros uh, Ice. Mm. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Or uh, Philip Trujia uh, High Feet, the front flipper. Okay, I think you sent me posts about that. Yep. Yes, yes, they're hot. Those are hot really really subtle front flipper but as soon as you touch it it flies open oh, nice. it's really cool yeah really well designed this uh, our on my horizon so what but yeah but that's kind of the immediate gratification so what's your what's the one you've wanted since you were 15 cool. that you've never had vintage marbles ideal really yeah you could just take the one sitting in the drawer. Presumably, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Mike doesn't kill me. Yeah, no. I, I bought it. It's mine. You can take it if you want. Yeah. Off eBay. <laughs> Shut up, Matt. I didn't say it was hard to find. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's iconic, and I like the old, the old uh, guards they have on there. The the super, guards. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Barrel shaped handles. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, that's an EDC for me. I, that's in my rotation. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, they're not stupidly expensive, but no. they're not that. Oh, they're not here. superly wide of it, widely available. I mean, it's not like you can pick them up every other day. Here in Gladstone, where they were made, they're a fortune. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, really they're, proud of them. Yeah, yeah, it's like a tourist thing. It's yep. super strange, but anywhere else in the world, they're like, "Oh, what's this old knife?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Seventy-five bucks uh, out the door. That's yeah. really true. Yep. Mm -hmm. Crazy, no, interesting. The customs I have lined up. I got a couple of. Uh, or resent with other makers, but after that, it's probably 
Brian, if he ever opens his books again, Brian, if you're listening, top spot, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, and uh, Philip Trujillo, but he only raffles this off. Oh, I hope you get him. I hope you get him, and I hope you get him at a good time. Yeah, and like, when, like when you need that thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what I mean by good time. That's so, yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that uh, that buttons it up yep. for episode 37 of Behind the Blade podcast. It's a podcast. Yeah, it is. That is. Good job, gentlemen. My name is Jim Stewart signing off for for Mr. Matt Martin and Mr. M- Michiel Van Hout. Van Hout. Van Hout. There you Hout. go. Van Hout. Hout. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Michiel Van Hout. Yeah, I respond to anything that vaguely resembles my name up here. <laughs> Pretty safe. Yep. Pretty safe. No arguments. Uh, you can find our content on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash behind the blade podcast. You can find our group, facebook.com slash group slash BTB trench crew. If you're not a member of the trench crew, go find us there and join up. Answer the questions. Um, find out which one of us has the sexier voice or at least contribute to it. Right now, Matt's winning. I thought, I thought Gilbert Gottfried was winning. Uh, I wasn't <laughs> him, but yeah, Gilbert Gottfried is winning. <laughs> I think two people voted for me out of everybody in there. So, so you guys are my favorite now. <laughs> and, Thank and, you both. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. And um, you can, uh, uh, we, we, I guess we'll see you guys in two weeks. Two, yeah. two weeks. So have a good night.